How many of y'all thank God every weekend that Charles married April? I do, and, uh, and it's so great to be here. Love you guys. What a great church. I was just at Box Hill, uh, which is really not Box Hill. It's more near Box Hill, uh, which is where I grew up and I lived. For those of you that don't know my story, uh, my dad's Australian, my mom's a New Zealander, and I was uh, born in the Philippines. Hey, bro. And... Uh, <laughs> I was born in the Philippines, and I was a missionary kid for many years. I went to an American international school. That's why I have this really uh, Americanized accent. And, uh, but I, I now live in the Philippines again with my wife. Uh, do you want to see a photo of my wife? If you haven't seen a photo of my wife, this is a photo of my wife. Her name is Kate. Uh, she is way more attractive than I am. Uh, but I put a photo of me in there so you didn't think I cut it out of a magazine. <laughs> Uh, that was also before I just got LASIK surgery on my eyes, so now I can see Jesus healed me uh, th through the surgeon's hands. And so no more glasses, no more four eyes, no more fogging up. Every, it, Jesus is good. So that's my wife. She's beautiful. We've been married for 10 and a half years. Uh, come on, that's an accomplishment. And we're still married in Jesus' name. Some of you clap louder than others. That's all right. I know. Uh, four and a half years ago, she gave me a beautiful gift, which is my daughter, Hope Milani. Uh, oh, okay. We're going to throw them all together. All right. That ruins my intro, but thanks. That's okay. <laughs> Surprise, since the last time I was here, I had a son. Isn't that awesome? So the girls, they're good. But I had a son. The middle is Hope Milani. The left is Sienna Brave. So Hope's four and a half. Sienna is just turned three years old. People call it the terrible twos. Uh, I call it the demonic twos. And uh, <laughs> at church on a Sunday night, trying to get them into the car, we, we have three services. We start early in the morning. We finish late at night. We try and put our kids in the car at 10 p.m. It's like every demon that we cast out of every person in church that day managed to find their way into my children at night as we're putting them in the car. And, uh, but we believe in the power of prayer. Amen. And so, and in the last nine months, nine months ago, 10 months ago, m my wife finally did it. She gave me a boy. And, uh, and his name, his name is Aslan James. Isn't that awesome? I wanted to call him Lion. I've, I always felt like I really wanted to call him Lion, but his middle name is after me, James. And so he would have forever been known as Lion James Ayton. which I had a problem with. Uh, and, and so I, Aslan, I, I was in the shower, it popped into my head, I looked online, no one I knew was called Aslan. I was a youth pastor for 10 years, so like every name is associated with some brat little kid. Uh, so no one I knew, Aslan, no one caught, and Aslan actually, as much as it's, I think, the greatest mythical character of all time created by the great C.S. Lewis, the Jesus Christ representation in Narnia, even though I'm not a, I'm not a Narnia nerd, um, uh, Aslan actually is the Turkish word for lion. So he's my lion. My wife was a little bit scared. James, you know, you know it's like a fantasy name. It's going to be weird. I go, babe, it's Aslan. We're not calling him Dumbledore. <laughs> you know, he's not Harry Potter. How you doing, little Harry? And uh, so that's my family. And three and a half years ago, we moved to the Philippines. Uh, we started a church called Favor Church. And I'm going to just, I'm going to share throughout my sermon today. I talked with Charles about this, and he wanted me to do it. And so uh, I'm doing something that I, I, I don't think I've really ever done before, I, I think. Is this the first time I'm preaching a brand new sermon 
uh, on the road. Uh, so this is the worst of me that you'll ever get because uh, I'm preaching a sermon I've never ever done before but I'm going to be telling the story of what's happened especially in the last year of our church and and because I want to uh, I want to inspire you for faith uh, today the title of my message if you're taking notes and I hope you are because Jesus is watching and judging you uh, the the title of my message is called Impossible Faith. I want to go to the, the classic faith chapter in the Bible, which is Hebrews chapter 11. The great chapter of faith, but I'm only going to read three verses from it. Verse 1, it says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. In some versions, it says the substance of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. It goes on to talk about some of the, the generals, the giants of faith in the Old Testament. We get down to verse 29, and it says, It was by faith that the people of Israel went right through the Red Sea as though they were on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to follow, they were all drowned. In verse 30, it was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. Faith is this great subject that we talk about in church. Faith is something that we need as a church. And I want to jump straight into three thoughts that I have about faith. And then we're going to pray at the end and we're going to cry. And then it's going to be good because then Charles and I are going to go to the footy and watch the mighty Essendon Bombers drug-free, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, and by Joe Danaher's left foot. And we shall pray that Dylan Shield can actually kick the ball properly. Jeez, he can burst through the pack, can he? But he just, his disposal, he needs to work on it. All right. Some of y'all are freaking out. American accent, but I, I love footy. The only problem is we got caught. That was the problem. Number one. <laughs> Number one is simply this. Thanks, Chuck. Faith cannot coexist with complacency. Faith cannot coexist with complacency. There's so many comfortable people here. Australia, uh, I've traveled around the world. Can I just say this? Australia is the most comfortable country on the planet. Who here has immigrated from another country? Uh, would you agree with me? Australia is the most comfortable country in the planet. We are so comfortable. We, we get paid to have babies. Can we just acknowledge that for a moment? Most countries in the world, you have to pay to have a baby. In this country, you get paid to have a baby. You get paid not to have a job. We get angry because the Centerlink line is a little bit too long this week. Right? Like, we live in a comfortable country where we're angry because one of the parties may take away the right to do negative gearing, which will hurt our investment properties. Am I poking some bears this morning? <laughs> we live in a comfortable, very comfortable country. And I believe that complacency is one of the greatest enemies of faith. If we're comfortable, we don't need to have faith. Because if we have everything you need, why do we need faith to believe for anything more? In order for our faith to be activated, we have to be able to dream. And that dream that we need is the God dream that he would put inside of our heart. See, Moses heard from God about the promised land. And he began to dream for his people. 
but he had to fight against the complacency of his own people. They went through the plagues. They came out of the land. He stood before Pharaoh and sung, let my people go. And they walked out of the land. And they're walking and they come up to the Red Sea. The Red Sea's there. The Egyptians starts coming behind them. Everyone starts freaking out. And this is the exchange that they have in Exodus chapter 14. It says, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and then said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you that this would happen while we're still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt, Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still. Watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Moses is having an argument with people because they wanted to be slaves again. Dusk till dawn, slaves. Being whipped, being beaten, being bruised. Working for someone else, not as a job, but as a slave, owned by people. And in the middle of them going to the promised land, the dream of the land flowing with milk and honey, they see the Egyptians, and Moses has to fight, even in that moment, against their complacency of going, oh, it was better to be a slave than to be out here dying in the wilderness. It took the leadership of Moses to jolt them out of complacency. And you know what he did? He reminded them of the power of their God. He said, just chill. God has got this situation. In your local context as Uni Hill Church here in the great suburb of Uni Hill. Is it a suburb? Oh, Bandur. Sorry, I'm from the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. <laughs> in, in, in the context of being here in Uni Hill Church, Complacency will take you from being a church and make you a great club. If you fall for the trap of complacency, you will stop operating as a church and you will become a very nice club. And what a club. Temperature controlled aircon and heating, right? Comfortable chairs, padded. It's amazing. A nice, nice things, these little square things that are up there. A Nord, you know how expensive a Nord piano is? You got, you got a drum screen for all the people that freak out about the drums. It's protecting you from the onslaught of the drums, right? Like this is, this is so comfortable. It's nice. And if we fall for the trap of complacency, we stop operating as a church and we just become a nice club where we all come together, pat each other on the back, talk about all the good things that we've done this week, avoid all the sins that we've done this week, and we just make each other feel better about being in this nice little club. Could I throw this out there and say this? Faith will make you uncomfortable. Unfortunately for you, God has given you senior pastors that have a faith and a vision for the future. Charles actually believes that he can impact this city. <gasps> like, y'all are in for trouble. If you've come 
because you want a nice little church that you can come to on a Sunday and just worship and just hear a nice word and then go home and not let it affect your life, not let it impact your marriage or your parenting or your business, not let it begin to challenge you to do more for God in your life, then you've come to the wrong church. Leave. Get up now and go. It's okay. God will prune who he needs. <laughs> Just leave. Because unfortunately, and I'm saying this seriously, unfortunately, you've got senior pastors that actually think that God has called them to impact a city and even a nation. So it means that you're not going to stay comfortable. If you're looking for comfort, you've come to the wrong church. He has faith. April has faith. They have faith. And when there is faith, complacency cannot coexist with faith. Faith will strangle and kill complacency. So if you want to be comfortable, God bless you. There's another church close by. I don't know what that church is, but there are heaps. There's heaps of options. Complacency. It'll stop your faith. Uh, about a year and a half ago, our church, we let three and a half years ago, I'm going to tell the, the story of our church through my sermon. Three and a half years ago, we landed in Manila. And I knew one person in Manila. It was a guy that I knew when I was five years old. Uh, his parents were in my parents' church. He was my first friend that I ever had. But I hadn't seen him in 25 years. I didn't know him. He married a, a great girl. His name was Ray. Her name was Cherry. He married a great girl. And we had dinner with them. And they really felt God called them to be a part of our church. Uh, another guy found me on the internet because we put on the internet that we're moving to Manila. We're going to start a church. He wrote me an email. Uh, I got the email. I wrote him back straight away. He was shocked that he got an email so fast back from the senior pastor. I explained to him that he was the third person in our church. Of course I'm going to write him back. <laughs> uh, we met our, our very first Sunday that we were there. We had a prayer meeting with five people, six people, including my daughter, Hope, seven, including my pregnant uh, wife, uh, our baby, Sienna, inside of her. So really five adults in that room. I, I didn't know these people. I knew Ray when I was five, but I didn't know these people at all. I'm going to write a book one day, How Not to Plant a Church. Uh, we did it the worst way possible. Uh, we just turned up. We had no team. No one came with us from Australia. Uh, we started with, with these five people that were there. And uh, the next week, we had another prayer meeting. We had the five again, and we began to pray. We had 10 things that we prayed through. And it was amazing because with five people in that room, we prayed that we were going to be a church of influence, that we were going to see hundreds of thousands of people come to know Christ in the Philippines and around the world, that we were going to have billionaires walk into our church, that we were going to have influence in the arts and the entertainment and in politics and in the sporting arena. And, uh, and, and we began to pray all these things with five people in the room. Uh, the three other people freaked out. They'd never prayed that long before in their life. They're like, <laughs> they're tired. They're having water breaks in the middle of this prayer meeting. Then we started our connect group, 11 people in our connect group. It was the worst night of my life. It was horrible. Six new people came. I brought out the guitar. We sang songs. They didn't know the songs. They all stood there, and they looked down at the ground. It was horrific. I, I closed my eyes. I said, Jesus, come right now. Let the rapture happen in this moment. 
get me out of here. I just left a church. I was the executive pastor of a church of 5,000 people in Perth. I had about 52 staff members under me answering to me. And now I've got 11 random people in, in a condo in a foreign country in the Philippines. And I'm, I'm like, God, what's happening? Uh, it took us 11 months to start services. Uh, 11 months, we built up about 60 people together, and we started our services officially. So we were in services for about a year, and we'd grown from about 60 people to about 200 uh, uh, people attending our church. And, and it was nice. It was good. We were in this little bar in, the, in uh, uh, this great place. Philippines is super religious. And so the moment that people would walk into a bar, they'd freak out. Be like, oh, is this church? Be like, yes, it is. I used to preach to Jim, Johnny, and Jack every single week uh, right in front of me. And, uh, and, and it was this great little bar. And our church was growing. It was nice. Our church was, was becoming comfortable. We began to know people. We began to see people. We were building good relationships with people. It was nice, and it was comfortable. We could have gone to more multiple services there, but I felt this, this thing inside of me. I felt faith beginning to rise up. See, when faith begins to rise up, it will kill your complacency. I, I, we had teams. We had two services going, but, you know, it was nice. We only had afternoon services. You have no idea how much of a blessing from God it is to not wake up early on a Sunday morning and preach, right? For two years, we only had afternoon service, but I felt the stirring. So I began to think, okay, we need to, we need to find our own place. And so we were looking around. We had no midweek gatherings. It was hurting our church. And, and so I wanted to find our own place that we could do church. And so we began to look. All these different things happened. And finally, we ended up at this mall. And it's a big shopping mall. It's called the Shangri-La Plaza, the Shangri-La, ooh, Shangri-La, right? It is, it is one of the two highest class malls in the whole of Manila. If you drew a circle around Metro Manila and put a dot right in the middle, we don't have one city center. We have about nine city centers around the whole of Metro Manila. But if you do a circle and you do a dot, it would literally be where this mall is. It's on the corner of the biggest intersection in Manila. It is in the middle of the whole city. And, uh, and they built a new wing Four years earlier on this mall, I remember when this mall opened. I used to go there as a child. They built a new wing, and they'd overcompensated, and so they had these four shop fronts that was about 570 square meters all up together that were empty. They sat empty for, for four years. And so one of the girls in our church, her dad is the president of the Retail Federation of the Philippines. So he called the president of Shangri-La and said, my daughter's church is looking for a place. Be nice to them. In the Philippines, it's all about who you know. And so we went, we looked at this place, and I thought, you know, we could do it. It's got big concrete pillars in the middle of the auditorium. It's so frustrating, but I'm like, we could do something with this. And so instantly they wanted, they wanted about $30 a square meter to lease this place out full time. Um, at the time, you, you've got to understand, our, our monthly income, our entire monthly income as a church and I'll do it in Australian dollars for context, was 8,200 Australian dollars a month, our whole income as a month. And so I went into negotiations with these people, and I, I trust God. Like, sometimes we don't trust God, but I figure, hey, if this is God, God's got to make a way. I don't have to make the way. God's the one that's building the church, not me. And so I went in and just totally undercut them. And I said, you want $30 a square meter, I'll give you $8 a square meter. Uh, they came back, oh, no, sorry, sir, maybe we could do like 25 I said, listen, sorry, I, I, I wasn't negotiating. Because uh, eight, eight, 
$100 a square meter is, is all that we can afford. I actually lied to them because we couldn't even afford that because the entire lease at $8 a square meter with the association dues and everything would have been $8,400 a month. Our entire income is $8,200. They come back, they say, yes, it's a miracle. To me, I took that as a green light. See, when I operate on faith, I operate on green lights from God. So many times people are sitting there going, God, is this you? Is this you? The door flies open. God, was that you that opened the door? God's like, yes, okay, God, I heard that it's you, but is it now the right time to walk through the door? And we get so nervous. I like to live my life on, on a green light where I just keep going until God smacks me with a red light. It makes, hey, it makes my life a little bit easier, and it means that I get to accomplish more for God because I keep walking until I hit the red light. So I kept walking. We got this thing. I signed the lease. Ha! Stupidest thing I've ever done in my life. I signed the lease for $8,400 a month, and we make, as a church, $8,200. I could have been complacent and just sat there in the bar, like many of you on a Saturday night. <laughs> I could have just kept doing our thing, but something inside of me, faith began to rise up inside of me. And this leads me to my second point of the day, which is simply this. Faith requires sacrifice. Moses sacrificed. To take the people out of Egypt, Moses had to give up his nice life. He was hanging. He had a good job. He had a, a good herd with him, good relationship with his father-in-law, married a good girl. He's chilling, ran away from his life, and he, he knew the highs of Egypt, but he's sitting there have, having a good time. Uh, his, his public weakness of stuttering was not on display to many people. Just as Moses was living a good life, and God drew him out of his comfort, drew him out of his complacency, and he had to sacrifice his nice life that he was having so that he could lead the people out of slavery and into his promised land. His faith in God and for the promised land made him give up all those things that made him feel comfortable. He had to begin to rely on God. He had to rely on God when he went and saw Pharaoh and began to talk to Pharaoh about the plagues that would come. He had to rely on God when he was crossing the Red Sea. Could you imagine that? I mean, Moses, we talk like he's the man, but I imagine Moses going, it's okay, God's got it, and him turning around to the Red Sea going, oh my God, you better have it. <laughs> Anyone ever feel like that? You talk great vision. Welcome to being a pastor. That's all we do. We're going to take this city. Oh my God, I hope we take this city. That's, that's, that's how we lead. Right? If you're a business owner, that's what you do. Come on, we're going to expand. Oh, my God, I hope we can expand. Moses would turn around. But he, but he trusted in God to get him across the Red Sea. He trusted in God for daily food and provision for 3 million people that landed on the ground or a whole bunch of birds falling out of the sky. He had to learn how to rely on God. He had to learn to rely on God for the moral and ethical direction of a whole nation that came through the Ten Commandments. His faith for God outweighed his thirst for comfortability. Could I ask you this today? Does your faith for God outweigh your comfortability in this church? Does your faith for what God can do in your life in this church, in this city, does it outweigh the comfortability that you have sitting in this really nice church building this morning? See, if you're going to see what God does in this church, if you're going to begin to see the dreams 
and the visions that are inside your pastor's hearts, do you know what it's gonna do? It's gonna cost you time. It's gonna cost you money. Money. And more money. How many of y'all excited when I just said that? Something rose up inside of you. It's gonna cost you time. It's gonna cost you money. It's gonna cost you your comfortability. It's gonna cost you sitting next to people in church that usually you won't associate with outside of church. Everyone prays, God, we want revival, we want revival. Revival comes and sits next to you and you feel uncomfortable about it. If you can leave your bag in this church and no one takes anything out of it, You know, you know churches that are moving in revival? You can't leave your bag on the seat. <gasps> but that's not a great place. Well, because we're reaching people that need Jesus. It makes it a little bit uncomfortable. It's, it's, you're going to have to sacrifice your comfortability to reach people for Jesus Christ. People want to change the world, and usually those people find themselves in two different groups, those with intentions and those with faith. Faith and intentions are two wildly different things. Hebrews 11 verse 1, let me read it again. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for, the evidence of things we cannot see. Faith is reality. The other version, substance. It's actually there. The evidence, it's something that you can see. You earn a good reputation by actually doing something. Intentions are nice thoughts with no actions. If I was judged by my intentions, I'd be the greatest human being that's ever lived. If husbands were judged by intentions, we wouldn't need that marriage seminar. But we're not judged by intentions. We're judged by our actions. We're judged by what we do. And that's why husbands need that marriage seminar. <laughs> intentions are just nice thoughts with no actions. Faith is backing up your dream, but taking the actions of sacrifice to get it. Faith requires action. Intentions go, man, I'd love to be a part of a great church that reaches this nation. Faith says, I want to be a part of a great church that reaches this nation. What do I need to do? Intention says, wow, it'd be great to have unsaved people in our church finding Jesus every week. Faith said, hey, unsaved people are going to come, and so I want to be there when they're here. What can I do to help? How can I pray? How can I serve? This church is growing. You don't need to sit down and think, oh, they've got it all good. All is taken care of. This church is growing. It needs you to serve. We need more people to serve in the kids' department. If you are not a weirdo, we need you to get a police clearance and serve in our children's department because every time I come back to this church, there's more babies and there's more children and there's more family. I mean, the marriage conference is good, but y'all are making love. It's good. Keep having babies, but we need people in our kids. We need more youth leaders in our church. We, we need more people to serve. It, faith doesn't just say that would be nice. Faith says, what can I do? I believe it and I'm going to step up and I'm actually going to do it. And it's going to take sacrifice. Nothing, nothing great ever happens easy. Take sacrifice. Childbirth. What a beautiful miracle. It's horrible. <laughs> nothing beautiful about it. Ah! 
guys. I hate you for this. Yes, honey. Yes, right? It's nothing beautiful. You want to create something great? There's pain. There's sacrifice. So I signed the lease, right? I signed the lease. My dad's freaking out. At that point, we didn't really have much of a board in the church. So I, I could sign the lease. And uh, <laughs> so the whole thing to fit out, to fit out this thing in the mall, it, it was going to cost, uh, it, it cost $600,000 to fit it out. Right? It's in a mall. We have standards that we have to, to do. We didn't own anything as a church, no sound equipment, nothing. So, so remember, our to- total income as a church is 8200 The lease itself is 8400 and now we, we have to do $600,000. Uh, the building itself, uh, essentially, we had to do a down payment of $100,000, and then we got payment terms with the construction that we would pay $40,000 every single month for the next 10 months. And so... Uh, the Friday is coming, and the down payment is due, and we'd saved up uh, enough money in our church, and and uh, and the, the weekend before the down payment was due, there, there was a few things that happened that were really cool, but essentially, we, we basically, if the down payment was $1,000, um, we had, uh, sorry, if it was about $100,000, if we had paid the down payment, we would have been left with $25 in our bank account. That wasn't even enough to, to pay for the rental of the MMA gym that we were doing children's church inside of. We did children's church inside the octagon. Um, it's incredible. Uh, we just let them loose, and whoever survived, all right, you can go back to your parents. Uh, we, we didn't even have enough money for, for, for our, the rental of the children, and I'm freaking out. I have my first sleepless night as a senior pastor, and I'm, and I'm going, God, is this you? God, I told the church, everyone's excited. Woo, we're going to get our own place. And, uh, and I'm like, God, is this you? I, I need, I need the, you know, I, like I'm seeing the green light. We got the miracle of actually securing the place is a miracle, but I can't do it. I'm happy to get in front of the church and be embarrassed and say, listen, we just didn't have the, enough money. I have faith, but I'm not an idiot. You know, I have faith, but I'm, I'm, I'm still a good steward of our money and what you've given us. And so the Wednesday night, the payments due on the Friday, the Wednesday night, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. I get an email out of the blue from a, a couple that my wife and I had talked to in December. This was uh, January of last year, the month before I talked, to, and I shared the vision of our church. Hey, this is what's happening. We'd love you to, you know, to, to give towards it. I get an email on the Wednesday afternoon. Hey, uh, you know. Uh, sorry it's taken us so long, but uh, we want to give towards it, so we'll take care of one of the month's payments, $40,000. I cried. I'm like, okay, God, I guess this is the green light. No, but is it, God? Is it a green light? <laughs> is the door really open? Yes, shut up and walk through it. <laughs> the next morning, I wake up. I have a buddy call me from Singapore. He's a pastor in Singapore. I preached at his conference a, a month earlier. I, I hadn't asked him for any money. I asked everyone I knew for money last year, but, but I hadn't asked him for money. And he called me up, we're talking, small talks. He goes, hey, listen, sorry it's taking me so long. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, uh, we've been able to, to do st- uh, stuff, put things together, so we're going to give you $30,000. So in the space of 16 hours, I went from $25 in the bank to now $70,000 in the bank. And, and that begun the, the hardest seven months of my life that I'd ever, ever lived. And so what we had to do was every month we had to make these $40,000 a month payments, but it took sacrifice. I didn't get paid. 
I only started getting paid on my wage in January of this year. It took me over three years to get paid. I've been living by faith. for the last. I went without being paid, without getting extras so that our church could begin to grow. It, it took sacrifice. Man, if you have faith, it's going to cost you. It's going to take sacrifice. You want to change your world? It's going to cost you. For faith to rise up, it's going to take sacrifice. We have created such comfortable Christianity that we forget that our Christianity is built upon the sacrifice of disciples who were martyred for Christ. Eleven out of the original twelve killed. And the one that didn't get killed was put in a pot of boiling oil and then sent to the island of Patmos and wrote the book of Revelations. That's crazy. And yet we get upset if someone's sitting in our seat. You can't even worship. I'm sure that's what Peter had in his mind when he was crucified upside down. Faith, it takes sacrifice. Leads me to my third and final point, which is simply this, is that the reward of faith, though, is incredible. The reward of when you actually walk through the door, amazing. Moses was rewarded by his faith being mentioned in this chapter, Hebrews 11. What an incredible reward to be mentioned for all of eternity in this chapter of being a man of great faith. He got to go up the mountain and see the promised land. The Israelites were rewarded with their faith by entering the promised land. Their faith to listen to Joshua, their leader, when he said, we're going to walk around this city for seven days, but you can't talk to each other. And then we're going to shout, and the walls are going to come tumbling down. They were rewarded in their faith by seeing that city fall and seeing the cities fall in that nation that they could take over. Your faith could be rewarded by seeing your family members come to Jesus. Your faith could be rewarded by seeing this church grow. Your faith could be rewarded by a job promotion in your work. Your faith could be rewarded by your business growing exponentially. The testimony of the reward of faith is coming, but they call it a testimony because it requires a test to get there. Everybody wants the testimony, but we don't want the test. We just want the emoni. <laughs> Lord, give me an emoni so I can share it with the world. No, it's just an emoni. What's that? An emoni is a story without a test, which is a bad story. The testimony tests you, the sacrifice that comes, but when you come through, man, that testimony is incredible. Because you know what a great testimony is? I was once this way, but I defeated it, and now look at where I am. I was once struggling with this, but I got through it, look at where I am. My business used to be this, but look, we went into God, and now look at where we are now. It's a testimony. The reward of faith is incredible. How do we live through this testimony? Well, the very next chapter after Hebrews 11, where it talks about all the great men and women that had faith, it starts Hebrews 12 like this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses, which is all the people that were just mentioned in Hebrews 11, to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. 
We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Do you know how we should live our life? It's three simple things from this verse that I see is number one, get rid of the weight of comfortability. Get rid of the weight of complacency. If you feel comfortable, shake yourself up. Get ready. Go up to Charles and April and say, hey, I'm too comfortable, shake me. I was living in a beautiful house, four bedrooms, two bathrooms in Perth. I was driving a lease car that I was getting a new car every nine months. I lived 10 minutes away from the beach, four minutes and 37 seconds away from my church. My life was fantastic. And then God calls me and my wife to the Philippines, the most frustrating country on the planet. I live 800 meters away from my church and in the car, 800 meters can take me 25 minutes to drive 800 meters. I could walk blindfolded faster and I wouldn't get hit by a car because they're not moving, it's okay. <laughs> Call me out of my comfortability. Number two, it says this, endurance. Treat the life of faith like a marathon, not a sprint. Your church is not gonna change this nation tomorrow, but it is gonna change this nation. It may take years to do, but it'll happen. So don't treat it like a sprint. If it doesn't happen straight away, don't get angry because it says run the race with endurance. Endurance is needed for a marathon. And the last thing it says is keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Let it be about Jesus. Let it come back to Jesus. The reward of faith is incredible. So we commit to 10 months of making these $40,000 payments. And I've never been under that much pressure before in my life. We made the first couple payments. We move in to our church in May. We're getting about 200 people in our service. Within a month, our, our, our church doubles within a month to 400 people. Um, the church begins to grow, but the tithes begin to grow, but it's still not enough. Uh, one month, uh, we had a payment due. It was the following Friday. And so the Friday before, we had, a, uh, we had $700 in the bank, and the payment was about $40,000. I go through my Facebook friends list, and I said, God, just throw out anyone to me as I go through my list. About 15 people come out. And so I just write 15 people a message and go, hey, listen, I want to be upfront. This isn't like a, you know, I'm not trying to bait and switch on them, catfish them. I, I just want to be upfront and say, hey, we're raising money for our church. I believe it's good soil. I believe what God's doing, and we need to raise this much per month. You know, would you, would you partner with us? Uh, one guy wrote me back on the Saturday. Uh, his name was Ashley, and he said, yeah, I'll, I'll have a chat with my wife. I'm like, yeah, cool. I had a couple people write me back, say, oh, we'll have a talk about it. The Sunday, Sunday, 40,000 is Jew on the Friday. 1,700 in the bank. Sunday, I'm sitting there, and I'm praying, okay, God, I need a miracle. I need an angel to walk in and to just put a check. Uh, in the Philippines, we, we still use checks. The dumbest thing alive. But, uh, but I'm like, I need an angel, an angel just to walk in and put a check. You know, just, just something to happen. I need some, God, let, let someone win the lotto in our church. I don't care how they get the money. Uh, just, just whatever it is, God, let it come in. And so that night, I'm having dinner. Our guys counted the tithes. They, they sent me the text of what the tithes was, and it was just our, our normal tithes. And I sat there devastated. Five minutes, I'm like, 
I'm going to get kicked out of this country. I'm going to be deported, thrown in jail. Like, this is horrible, God, but you promised. I, I walked through it. God, you promised. Because there's no other way that this is going to happen. Five minutes, God, let me suffer for five minutes. Just stretching, sweating, just struggling. Five minutes later, I get beep, beep, beep on my phone. And it's actually, hey, mate, talk with my wife about it. Uh, we'll take care of one month's payment. We'll send through 40000 40000 came in straight away. A couple months later, I was in uh, Perth, and I was preaching at a church, and I got up and I preached, and I think I might have made this joke here. I said, hey, we're raising money for our church, and we, at that point, we need about another 300000 uh, to do it. So if you have that, um, I'd love to take you out for lunch, and I'll even pay for it, right? Ha <laughs> Everyone laughs like you laugh. <laughs> Go on, I preach the message. Um, walk out of there. About a month and a half later, we've got $10,000 in the bank, and the next week, 40,000 is Jew. No idea where the money's coming from. Freaking out. Uh, at that point, our church has grown. We have one person on staff, our kids pastor, the only person on staff. I'm volunteer. We have got another person volunteer. Our whole church is volunteering, and it's just growing. Uh, I get a call from the church in Australia and said, hey, listen, this guy wants to get a hold of you, to, to, you know, wants to send through some money. And I'm like, okay, cool. That, that's fine. I was thinking maybe it might be 1,000 or something like that, you know. Now, don't get me wrong, a thousand is incredible, right? But when you need thirty thousand, a thousand's nothing, uh, right? So it's like, oh, thank you, <laughs> thank you. Uh, you know what I'm saying, right? And, and so I'm there. So this guy calls me. I've never met him before in my life. He goes, "Yeah, uh, good day. Uh, I was sitting in your your service, and you know what you said? It really annoyed me." Oh, that's a great introduction. And he goes, "Yeah, it's just been bugging me. It annoyed me. It's been bugging me for the last month and a half." Um, so uh, I want to take care of 10% of that. We're going to send through $30,000. I never met the guy in my life. Payment got made. This happened for about six months. I couldn't handle it. I was like, every month, it, every month it was like by the wire this happened. My faith grew, but I'm like, I can't do this anymore, God. Uh, Kate's like, my marriage, I can't do this anymore, God. And, and, and I was carrying a lot of this by myself as well because our church, our church couldn't carry it because they didn't have the finances to carry it. I couldn't go to the church because we just didn't have the money in the church at the time. So I started to try and get a bank loan. I'm thinking, okay, if I can get a bank loan, then maybe I can make the payments, you know, go over 10 years instead of, you know, the next four months, which will give us more cash flow because we needed to hire staff members. I didn't have a desk in my office. I was sitting on a plastic chair and this little $10 fold-up table that was kind of broken that I had to keep up with my one leg. And, and, it, and, it was, and the church is growing, but we can't spend any money because everything's going into this thing. We got a... Uh, uh, we got a bill after three months of being in there for 998,000 pesos, which is about $25,000 for our first three months of our lease. We had no money in the bank. I thought, how are we going to do this? I, I'm, and I, in my head, I'm thinking, I could just not pay it for a month and hope that the money comes in. The next day after I get it, I've got a Chinese auntie that I grew up with in the Philippines. And uh, she's not blood related, but she's like an auntie to me. She came, looked through our church, and I showed her our church. I didn't ask her for anything. Uh, she, she's refused to come to our church because our church is too loud for her. She's refused to come, but loves me like a son. Four days later, I'm sitting there, and, and the payment's due that day on the Friday for this, for this 25000 And I'm like, God, how am I going to do it? I wake up, I go, and I'm sitting on the toilet, and I'm, I'm going through social media on the toilet like we do. And all of a sudden, I get a text, and it's my auntie. She said, James, God's spoken to me. I'm going to give you a loan uh, interest-free of a million pesos. Covers it. I'm crying on the toilet. <laughs> 
I try and get a bank loan, right? We can't get it. We haven't been going long enough. Can't do it. I had a guy in my church who put up collateral of his condominium. Uh, he, he's an actor in our church, and, uh, and he's doing well financially. Uh, still kind of a new Christian coming back to God, so he put it as collateral, but it, but it, it didn't matter. It, the bank said no, and so I called him. I said, hey, listen, you know, we didn't get the loan. He goes, ah. Oh. He goes, well, you know, how, how much do we need? And at that point, it was about uh, 230000 left to pay off the whole thing. He goes, oh, maybe I could give that loan to the church. Like, just loan it to the church. And I'm like, well, I'd never thought of that. I never would have asked that. I'm not, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, make our relationship uncomfortable. And he goes, yeah. He goes, listen, I could probably do 150000 That's it. That's as much as I could do for a loan. I'm like, whoa, that's amazing. I said, well, there's this other person in our church who's a, a, an actress in our church. I said, you're friends with her. Why don't you go and ask her? Maybe you guys can split it down the middle, you know? And he's like, yeah, cool, cool, I'll do that. And so our payment was due in a week and a half, right? Isn't it amazing that God always, I feel like, lets it come down to the wire just to see if we have faith or not? And so a week and a half is this, is this Jew. A week later, I, I call him like, hey, have you talked to that girl yet? He's like, oh, no, I haven't, you know, I haven't had the time to. And what, you know, I can't put pressure on the guy. Hurry up and talk to her right now so we can get the money for the church. Like, I can't, I can't say that. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. Uh, you, you know, could you please talk to her? Yeah, 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 okay, okay, okay. So that's a Wednesday. The payment's due the following Wednesday, right? Friday. Friday, I get a call from a person in Australia, someone who wasn't very supportive even of us going to the Philippines initially, but God had done a work in their life, called us up and said, hey, listen, uh, we just sold a bit of our business. We want to send some of the tithe through to your church. I'm like, yeah, cool, cool, cool. You know, 1,000, 2,000, you know, it doesn't matter when you need 230,000. <laughs> Thank you, but I need another $228,000. Uh, so I didn't realize Monday came, the payments due on Wednesday, uh, Monday came. This guy can give us a loan of 150000 but 230 is due. On Monday, I checked in our bank account, and this person from Australia had sent through $80,000. I cried again. Went to this guy. I said, we got the money. We can do the loan. Paid off our construction. Have the interest-free loan from this guy. Two years. Yeah, pay it whenever you want. Two-year interest-free loan. A month later, we started our giving series, The Blessed Life. Have you done it yet? You're going to do it at some point. The greatest giving series we've ever, ever done in our church. We had our big once-a-year legacy offering. From our little church, we ended up taking up $167,000 in one offering. I was able to pay my auntie off, pay half of the loan that we owed this guy, and still give a large chunk of money to missions and to other partnerships that we're involved in. And since that moment, we did the Blessed Life series last October into November until now in April. Our giving has more than tripled every single week. And since the beginning of this year up until last week, the attendance has grown. In January of this year, I was able to hire 11 people in one Sunday. We went from one staff member to 11 in one Sunday. Last year, uh, we were in the bar, a couple hundred people. Last Sunday in church, we had 1,029 people in church throughout the whole day. In three weeks, we're about to start a fourth service because people are sitting on the floor of our last service of the day. 
we get between 40 and 70 salvations every single week in our church. We're handing out over 100 new people bags every single week in our church. And everyone sees all the incredible things that God is doing. And it's amazing and it's incredible. And it's, woo But they don't see the sleepless nights I had. They don't see the pressure on my marriage that we had. They didn't see me pacing up and down the top building of my condo on the sky deck overlooking the city going, God, how are we going to do this? God, how are we, God, you spoke. You did open the door. How, God, how are we going to do it? No one, no one saw that. Everyone just saw the reward. That's why it's point number three. Don't, the reward's not point number one be, because their need, complacency needs to die and sacrifice needs to happen before you get the reward. You want to see this church grow and do great things for God complacency has to die and sacrifice is going to have to rise in this church and now we're living in the reward and God's doing amazing things and we're starting a Bible college in September God is growing our church it's it, it's amazing what God is doing none of my staff have been to Bible college I'm starting a Bible college so all of them could actually go to Bible college like it God's doing great things but it didn't happen easy breezy. It didn't happen, woo, just like that. It was sacrifice. It was stepping out of it. It was hearing from God, seeing the door creak open. It's not like the door burst. I saw the door creak open, and I, and I jammed it. I kicked it down like Holy Spirit filled for God. Faith. If you're too comfortable, your faith will die. What are you believing for? Every part of your life, your marriage. Don't get comfortable in your marriage. Have faith that your marriage can get better. Remember, faith is gonna require action. Don't intentionally think that it's gonna be better. Have faith. Your business, have faith that it can grow. Your job, have faith that you can believe that you're gonna get a promotion. You're trying for a baby and you can't. Have faith and believe that God is gonna do a miracle in your life and that baby's gonna come. Have faith to believe this church, yeah, it's great, but this church needs to double and triple in the next couple years. You need to fill this place to the back and then start a new service and fill it again and then start a new service and fill it again. Have faith to believe. Don't just intentionally think about it, have faith. And the reason why we get to have faith is because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. 2,000 years ago, we celebrated it a couple weeks ago, but Jesus came down to this earth. He died on the cross. So significant, not just a story. Because the Bible says we've all sinned. We've all been separated by God because of our sin, whether we realized it or not. And a price needed to be paid for our sin. In the Old Testament, blood was spilt by animals to pay for the sin. When Jesus came, his blood was needed to be spilt. That's why we sing songs, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Right? Did we sing that this morning in this church? We sung it the other one. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. We don't love animals in this church. Jesus was the lamb slain. His blood poured out, which paid the price for our sin. And all we have to do is come to Christ and repent, which is turning the direction of our life. We were heading away from God. Now we're heading towards God. Romans chapter 10 describes it as confessing in your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And these beautiful words, it says, and you will be saved. In a moment, we're going to stand and we're going to pray for faith.
We're going to pray for an increase of faith in your personal life. And we're going to pray for an increase of faith in this church's life. I'm going to pray an increase of faith in Charles and April's life because they're leading this church and they need greater faith and you need to get behind them. But before we do that, I want to pray for every person here that may not have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're here, it's your first time you've been to church. I want to welcome you today. You never ever prayed a prayer of repentance before. Maybe you're here and you used to go to church a long time ago, but you walked away. Stuff happened, life happened. Your faith was outweighed by your comfortability and intentions and you just walked away from God. Well, it's not an accident that you're here today. Out of respect for your neighbor, could you just bow your heads, close your eyes? If you're saying, James, that's me, I'm that first person. I've never ever done this before. Or you're saying, James, I'm that second person. I did this a, a long time ago, but I know that I've walked away from God. If that's you on the count of three from the front to the back, I want to pray for you right where you sit. I'd love you to lift your hand nice and high so I know who I'm praying for today. If there's anyone in this place that needs Jesus. On the count of three, you lift your hands. One, two, three, right now. Awesome. Thank you so much here in the middle. Is there anyone else that would say yes to Jesus? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, for that person that lifted your hand, this is what I want you to do. I want you to put your hand on your heart right now. And we're all going to pray this prayer together, Uni Hill, as a family. And I believe that that person that lifted your hand as you pray this prayer, when you say amen, that God through his Holy Spirit is going to come and begin to live in your life. So say these words with me. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I come to you today and I ask you to forgive my sin. I know that I've done wrong, but I know you can make me right. I believe that you died, but that you rose again for me. So come into my life. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Be my best friend. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can you give that person just a, a clap? That's amazing. After the service, one of our teams is just going to come and say hi to you and, and give you something. And it's the greatest decision you'll ever make in your life. Hey, for the rest of us, come on. Why don't we stand? all over this place. Who here wants to increase their faith today? Yep, great. Could I just, I'm gonna ask you that question again because it wasn't a great response, but that's okay. Uh, I know it's morning, it's tired. We've just been sitting on really comfortable padded seats. Uh, I'm gonna ask you again, but, but I want you to think about this really carefully. Before, before you answer this question, before you do the church response, which is yeah, who here, let me ask it a different way. Who here wants to kill their complacency, wants to get uncomfortable, and is prepared to make sacrifices to see the kingdom of God established here on this earth? Who here wants to do that? If you do, lift your hands to heaven right now, because that's what's going to happen when God increases your faith. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, lift, come on, lift your hands to heaven high. God, your presence is here. Lord, you've destined this church for great things. And that's not just the organization, but the people in this church. God, I pray 
Let faith rise up in every single person, God. I pray against complacency where those have been comfortable, God, where those have been complacent, where those have let the fire die down a little bit. All I pray that as faith begins to rise, that complacency would die, that comfortability would be strangled, that this church would become an uncomfortable church, God. Lord, a place where people don't just sit in nice chairs, but God, where people are, are driven to do something, something great for you, God. Lord, where we would stretch out, where sacrifice would be something that we look forward to. Sacrifice would be something that we do with our whole hearts, God, knowing that the reward is coming, God. I pray for faith to rise in marriages now in Jesus' name. Faith to believe for a greater marriage. Faith to believe for, for children to rise up as young men and young women of God, pillars in this house and this society. Faith to rise up in businesses and in workplaces, God. Oh, businesses represented here, we pray faith for even greater returns, even bigger expansion, God. Faith to rise for this church, God. Not just two campuses, but three, four, five campuses and locations around the nation. We thank you, God. Let faith rise, let faith rise, let faith rise. Let it rise, let it rise, let it rise. Let it rise, let faith rise. Let it kill everything that goes against it. Complacency die in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Charles, April, come up here. Just come here, stand here. Every person, lift your hands towards Charles and April right now. These are your pastors. If this is your first time in